In a digital world, a digital world, everything can be manipulated. Everything, everything. In a digital world, everything can be manipulated. Say you run a business. You're careful with your receipts and on top of your contracts. You do everything right, so if that day comes that you have to enforce your legal rights, you have the paperwork to back them up. And that day does come. But when you pull out that contract, the person on the other side of the courtroom produces a different one. Same dates, same electronic signatures but different in terms. They have a recording as well of a phone call you know never happened. But it's unmistakable. It's your voice agreeing to their terms. When your words, your voice, and even your face can be edited and emulated, how can anyone tell the truth from a lie? On today's episode of Legal Bites, we'll be talking about photoshopped contracts, doctored recordings, and deepfakes. Completely synthetic recordings like the one you just listened to are cheap, easy to produce, and getting more realistic by the day. So what does this all mean when it comes to your commercial and your personal rights? We've got some practical steps you can take, as well as some bigger questions to consider. I'm your host, Amber, and my guest today is a leading commercial lawyer and an expert on synthetic media. I think it's fair to describe her as prolific when it comes to publishing thought-provoking work. Without further ado, I'm thrilled to welcome Kelsey Farish to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Hi. It's absolutely fantastic to have you. And after such a dramatic introduction, I think my first question will definitely have to be, what do you think the threat level is? If I'm a small business and small claims court, how likely am I going to come up against these kind of new issues, these doctored recordings, Photoshop contracts? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, and it's something that I think is going to be coming um, a, a much more of a of an issue um, in years to come. Um, one of the easiest ways to kind of break down the risk and the threat is to kind of look at it from three different perspectives. And the first is um, societal risk. So that's when we're talking about things like manipulated videos and contracts that pose harm to society. Um, and, you know, they distort our notions of truth and justice and, you know, the court system and elections and so on. So that's societal risk. The second risk is is risk to businesses. Um, and, and what I'm thinking about there are things like um, falsified records and contracts um, put before insurance companies, for example, or, you know, businesses where they manipulate someone into transferring funds when they shouldn't. And the third risk is risk to the individual. So that's really more of what you described in the, in the intro. Um, so, you know, someone saying, Hey, look, I have a, a doctored contract or I have a photograph of you doing something that you didn't do. Um, there can also be, um, risks to your reputation, um, and to your emotional well-being. So if we look at those, if we again step back at, at societal risk, business risk and risk to the individual, I'm, I'm pretty confident to say that the, the possibility is, is very much there. Um, the probability, uh, at the moment, I, I would say the likelihood of you being, um, tricked into, um, thinking that you've signed something when you didn't or vice versa, um, I think is relatively small, but I do think it's going to be growing in, in the years to come. I mean, I think, yeah, you already touched a little bit on kind of the intro and that like risk to the person. And I think obviously in this wider conversation, we've definitely got to touch on those kind of more insidious forms 
of trickery that go beyond photoshopping contracts to emulating people's faces and voices. So it'd be really great if you could just, I guess, yeah, give a give an overview of what deepfakes are and I guess how they're created for anyone who, who hasn't really come across that term yet. Sure. So uh, when we say deepfake, what we're talking about is a synthetic or AI-generated video in which someone's face is essentially superimposed on top of someone else's body. And what happens is you look at this image, this video, and it's so realistic that there's really no obvious way to tell that it's fake. Um, so the term deep fake comes from deep learning, which is a type of uh machine learning or artificial intelligence and fake, well, it's because it's a fake video. So what happens is you basically have um, a, a machine learning algorithm that over time is trained. Um, it's shown millions and millions of pictures of human faces and it kind of learns, you know, the shape and the outline and, you know, how shadows appear on, on the face and so on. And um, it learns a, a certain sequence or a pattern. And so in due course, all you have to do is essentially show it a selfie or a couple of selfies or a video clip of someone and using its previously acquired knowledge, so it's learning, um, it can then generate a really realistic video using the face that you showed it. Yeah, and I think a, um, I think a point that is important to touch upon here is, yeah, I think you definitely gave a great explanation of kind of how it's created. And I think that does lead to a lot of questions of how it can be abused. But at the same time, this technology can actually be really fun and actually really helpful. I mean, personally, at least on Snapchat, those filters, hell of a good time. Yeah, absolutely. And um, they are fun. And I'd be lying if I said that I haven't <laughs> done them myself. Um, I say that as someone who's been studying this for, gosh, almost three years now. Um, yeah, they're a lot of fun and you get a laugh out of it. And usually, you know, you can use them for very innocent purposes. Um, but you're absolutely right. They can be used for um, helpful and scientific purposes as well. For example, um, some museums have used them to um, bring people who passed away back to life. And the reason why they do this is they found that people who visit the museum and interact and engage with the historical figures or, for example, people who who died in, in the Holocaust, that's a notable example, and they engage with them, they can actually, the learning um, and the impact that you take away with you is, is really profound. And there's just something special about the human face and, and hearing the voice. Um, you know, we as humans have evolved to be able to identify people by their faces um, very easily. Um, you know, there's there's just something very powerful and very emotive. And when you use that, you can do things like helping people with Alzheimer's. Uh, it's easy to imagine a situation whereby a person who's in their late 70s, you know, they don't recognize their wife uh, who's before them. Um, but once you create a deep fake of what their wife looked like 30 or 40 years ago, then suddenly their, their memory comes back for, for a, sh a few short moments. And that can be really special and really important and, and certainly used for, for medical research purposes and, and other educational purposes. Yeah, I mean, I think it is always really important to touch upon how it's not the technology that is evil, <laughs> or it's not the technology that's going to be defrauding people, it is other people. Absolutely. But I think, yeah, yeah, that definitely leads on to the question of what are those legal problems? Even if maybe we're not facing them right now, what is that future going to look like? 
Yeah. So one of the things that I find really fascinating is um, just looking at the last 10, 15 years or so, the ways in which we are increasingly living online. And I don't just mean online shopping and online banking. I mean, forging these these communities with other people across boundaries and across time zones. And so much of that um, comes down to how we present ourselves and this uh, digital persona that we're creating. Now, we've seen the press pick up a little bit on the fact that, you know, certain troll farms, right, where, um, you know, you have these actors in, in other countries um, create fake profiles of individuals, and then they go on Twitter and they stir up mischief, right? So that's a pretty simple form of, of faking a personality uh, in order to get a desired outcome, whether it's people voting a certain way or people sending bank details or what have you. But let's look at this uh, a couple of years from now, where it's not just a Twitter profile that can be made fake, um, but it's now a Zoom call. You can imagine, um, you know, with more people working from home and, and engaging in things over the internet, um, you know, do you really have to go into the office anymore? And if you don't need to go into the office anymore, well, let's think about having a, a Microsoft Teams meeting or a Zoom call with your boss. Like, what if you just recorded it the day before and you kind of knew what he was going to say or you operated it remotely? I mean, there are so many different crazy ways that this could stir up a lot of problems. Um, my particular area of expertise is on um, image rights. Um, so that basically means the rights that every person has with how their likeness, so their appearance and photos and videos are used um, in a commercial context. Uh, that's a really fancy way of saying publicity and privacy law. Um, so that's my area of specialism. Um, but in a criminal context, for example, uh, if you had someone who was impersonating another person for, for fraudulent reasons, trying to get money, extortion, um, you know, it's safe to say from my perspective that a lot of the traditional legal tools that we have at our disposal just haven't really matured together with the technology. So there's, um, you know, you can, you can do good old fashioned, um, criminal, um, fraud law, I guess, and apply it to, to fake videos. But then you come into the bigger question of, well, how do you prove it's fake? What is the judge going to think? You know, we're so used to trusting, trusting CCTV, for example, that, um, you know, if you see a video of something, gosh, do you really want to spend hours and hours trying to verify it? I'm not sure. And I'm not sure that we're ready um, to do that at scale. I completely agree with your point that the law is lagging behind the technology. And I guess it's that lack of legal protection that raises the big question. What can people do to protect themselves? Now, I promised some top tips when it comes to fake contracts and recordings, but before I sum that all up and round off the episode, it'd be great to get your advice on what people can specifically do about deepfakes, because I know that a lot of those same measures apply. I think the first, um, the first piece of advice or recommendation I would give to help people is actually the hardest one, and it's to just try to keep... Um, you know, the photos of yourself, those selfies, um, pictures of your kids, especially just, just keep them behind a private account. Um, you know, really, really query whether or not you need 15,000 images of yourself, <laughs> you know, on, on your public Instagram profile. And the reason for that is good deep fakes are made 
accurate and convincing um, if they have quality source images. So if you have a couple of selfies here or there, you know, the likelihood is someone is not going to be able to make a, a fantastic deep fake out of you. But if you have a lot of really good uh, images of yourself, um, then it's very easy uh, to, to plug those into the algorithm I described earlier and, and to generate something. You can also try watermarking images, um, you know, putting emojis on top of things, making them a little less unattractive to use. Um, and there are also um, some third-party solutions um, whereby you can purchase a subscription and, and you'll have someone uh, keeping an eye on your digital assets for you, whether that's running checks and seeing if images of you appear out on the web or, you know, other, other things like that. But definitely uh, prevention is, is uh, the, the best cure. I mean, each of those pieces of advice you just hit on really captures three take-home messages when it comes to protecting digital assets, whether that's contracts, phone calls, or photos. One, keep as much offline as possible. Voice recordings, videos, pictures, signatures. If you possibly can, try and make sure that those aren't up on Facebook, on Instagram, where people might be able to copy them. Number two, watermarks are a useful measure, but an imperfect solution overall. By putting them on your documents, like photos, like contracts, that can just be a really useful first line of defence. Third and finally are third party solutions. Have a look into this if you feel like you and your business are at a high risk. Now that's all from me, so all that's left to say is an absolutely massive thank you for Kelsey for joining me today. Thank you so much for inviting me on today. Before we end, for anyone looking to know more about deepfakes, how can they keep up with you and what you're working on? Um, probably the best way is just on Twitter. Uh, Kelsey Farish um, is my username. And then I also have a blog where I talk about deep fakes, um, anything related to media and entertainment law. And that's just KelseyFarish.com. Fantastic. And I will link all those things up in the show notes. To our listeners, have a lovely day. Thanks. 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 Thanks for listening. Thanks.